Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. Support for Away With Words comes from Mosey Online Backup. Mosey protects your valuable computer files against data loss from hard drive crashes, viruses, theft, and other disasters. Find out more at mozy.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. In the first act of Neil Simon's play, The Sunshine Boys, there's this great scene where Willie, an old-time vaudevillian, talks with his nephew about words that are automatically funny. Do you know this scene, Martha? Oh, yeah. Uncle Willie has, has told him this a million times, right? All right. Well, here, read this with me, all right? You're okay. going to read this with me? I've okay, got here we it go. right in front of I'll me. I'll be Willie, you be Ben. Ben is uh, Willie's nephew, right? Right. Fifty-seven years I'm in this business. You learn a few things. You know what makes an audience laugh. Do you know which words are funny and which words are not funny? You told me a hundred times, Uncle Willie, words with a K in it are funny. Words with a K in it are funny. You didn't know that, did you? If it doesn't have a K in it, it's not funny. I'll tell you words that always get a laugh. Chicken. Chicken is funny. Pickle. Pickle is funny. Cupcake. Cupcake is funny. Tomato is not funny. Roast beef is not funny. But cookie is funny. But cookie is funny. Uncle Willie, you've explained that to me ever since I was a little boy. Cucumber is funny. Car keys. Car keys is funny. Cleveland. Cleveland is funny. Maryland is not funny. So here, <laughs> here in this whole scene, and it's beautiful in the 1975 movie with, I think it's Walter Matthau and Woody Allen. Brilliant. Just well done. Uh, they've kind of mixed the play up a little bit there, but it's more or less the same. And they've kind of laid out this notion here, Martha, that words have in them inherently something funny. And I agree, pickle is automatically funny. Pickle's pretty funny, I have to pants. admit. Pants. What about pants? Pants, I, a pants. There's no K in it, but no, pants is funny. No, 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 I don't think pants is funny. Panties oh. is funny, but pants isn't funny. What's funny panties about pants? Funny. I don't, pants are funny. Panties are hilarious, but pants. Panties are funny, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but pan, what is so funny about what pants? What about city names? Kalamazoo, automatically okay. funny. Okay, you got me there. Yeah. Okay, good one. Walk what else shot. we got? Waukesha. Waukesha is funny. Connected <laughs> uh, not really. Uh, yeah, it's it's over. But Nashville, Nashville's not funny. Okay, what about people's names? Bob. Bob, Bob is not is ca- funny. Bob is funny. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of Bob Newer. Bob is funny. What are you saying? Bob is funny to me. Why? But like Phil, not funny. But why I don't, is that's Bob the funny? thing. What I'm just saying that words and names and places, they automatically have attached to them like this little flag for each of us, and it varies a little bit, that says funny. Bob not is not funny. funny. Otto is funny. Otto is kind of Otto. funny. Elmo is funny. Elmo but, is funny. But Bob, I don't know. Bob, you don't. Okay. Well, I think. But Martha, you're raising a bigger question here. Why is it that some of these words are funny? I think it goes back to our childhood. I, I know from my own son and reading the books about children that help me understand what is going on in his little brain that words, for example, with B's and P's are often incredibly fun to say. My son had a great time with the word baboon. Oh, he loved yeah. saying baboon. Yeah. And he would sometimes sit there, and I swear it was like poetry, and say all of the P words he knew. He'd say, Papa, puppy, poo poo, pee pee. <laughs> and it's nice me being thrown in there with the pee pee and poo poo, but what are you going to do? Because <laughs> it's fun to say. It, 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 it does interesting things on the mouth, right? Yeah, it does. But is there something deeper here, or is it no, just. There isn't. No, there is. I just okay. wanted to talk about words. <laughs> and uh, frankly, if you get a chance to read a Neil Simon play aloud, you should do it, right? Okay. Yeah, you just wanted a chance to say pants, which I don't think is funny. <laughs> pickle? pickle? Pickle is, is funny. funny. <laughs> All right, we agree on pickle. 
Listen, if you've got a word that you think is funny, give us a call, one 929 or send your automatically funny words to words at waywardradio.org or talk about it on our discussion forum at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Martha. Yes, who's this? This is Johnny Palmer out of Cleburne, Texas. Well, welcome, Johnny. What's going on? Uh, not too much. I have a like a 30-year-old question I've been trying to answer, and I was hoping you all can uh, help me with it. Wow. How old are you? 30 uh, years. Well, 45 now, but okay. it was in about fifth grade. Our teacher, I guess she, she wanted us to have a project to keep us busy, to keep quiet or something, but she said there was um, three words in the English language that ended in the letters G-R-Y, and she even gave us two of them, hungry and angry. And didn't give us the third, so I ran to the library and found the thickest dictionary I could find and started from the letter A, and I got a guess about halfway through the B's before I figured that wasn't a great idea. <laughs> and then, um, oh, bless your heart. Yeah, well, it, it was a chore. But then um, I kind of gave up, but then a couple years later, or like when I was a teenager or whatever, somebody said it was a word, um, I think it was pugry, maybe P-U-G-R-Y, but... When I looked that one up, I came up with a G-R-E-E as an ending, and I, I just I figured there might have been an alternative way of spelling it or something like that, but I wasn't sure if that was the right answer, and that's about as close as I've ever gotten. Uh-huh. I really hope you all can help me out today. Now, listen, Johnny, there's a, there's a couple layers to this, all right? Okay. The first one is to understand that the question your teacher asked you right. was a, a trick. Oh, Okay. All right. That's the first thing. The second thing to understand is that there are more than 100 words that end in G-R-Y, but the thing is none of them are common. They're all from other languages or archaic oh. and long since okay. not used. And, and we can, we'll link to various lists of these words on the Internet and show you. So, so right away we're seeing that there is an answer. There are plenty of words that end in G-R-Y that aren't angry and hungry. This is how the question should be phrased. Okay. Think of words ending in G-R-Y. Angry and hungry are two of them. There are only three words in the English language. What is the third word? The word is something that everyone uses every day. If you have listened carefully, I have already told you what it is. Now, all of that wording, Johnny, and everything that I said there is precise because it's a trick, all right? And And here's the trick. The trick is I made it seem like everything in that whole paragraph was connected. But really what I've done is given you two completely useless bits of information. The first two lines, think of words ending in G-R-Y, angry and hungry are two of them. Those two sentences go together, and they have nothing to do with the rest of the questions. Nothing. And so the only key part here that you need to pay attention to is there are only three words in the English language. What is the third word? And so in the English, I mean, sorry, the English language is according to the way this trick is phrased, is treated as a phrase. So there are only three words in the English language. And so then the third word is language. Oh, okay. I got you. So I got to go hunt her down now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hardy, har, har. But you know, Johnny, here's the thing. This question is asked all the time and people get the question wrong, which means there are thousands, if not tens of thousands of people running around this earth going, I don't know. I can never get this out. I don't have to go out and buy a medical dictionary or anything right now. No, 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 and it's crazy because it's it's like when a uh, it's like when a, a child t- tries to tell a joke, you know, and they kind of get the punchline right. all messed up, and right, and, right. and there's no joke left, you know, because they ruin it, and and so people have kind of remembered the gist that there's supposedly a third word that ends in G R Y, but right, right. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll post the exact wording of how it's supposed to go online, and you can decide whether or not you want to give them okay. that one or or the messed up one. Okay, well, well John, I'm, I'm going to keep listening. i got a bunch of other questions for you also. Uh, all right, well, that's super. Again. Thank okay, you so much. sounds good. Take care of right, yourself. thanks a lot, guys. Have a great day. Bye-bye, Bye-bye. John. Bye-bye. That said, if you've got a word puzzle for us or something that's been bugging you for 30 years, let us help you out of your misery. We've got a pill right here that'll take care of everything. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is natural cognitive <laughs> enhancement here on Away With Words. If you've got a question or comment about something we've discussed on the program... By all means, send us an email to words at waywardradio.org or give us a call at one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Hello, you have a way with words. Oh, hi, this is Dale Hobson from Potsdam, New York. 
Uh, I have a question. There was a post-it note on the cash register of my local food co-op asking for the origin of the phrase to boot. Now, I, I'm kind of a geekly guy, so I thought I knew the answer to that, uh, as in the geek squad couldn't get my new computer to boot. Uh, but that wasn't what they were asking. What they wanted to know was the uh, origin of to boot when it's used to mean furthermore or in addition to. Right. As in, uh, your mother dresses you funny and you are ugly to boot. <laughs> well, I don't know what I think about that. Well, Dale, first of all, let me ask you, is this something that's commonly done at your food co-op? Can anybody come up and put a post-it with a question about an etymology? Well, usually it's about the produce or something like that. Uh-huh. But, uh, but every now and then it's sort of the community Twitter board. Ah, We're a little nice. low-tech up here, so uh-huh. post-it notes with 140 characters on it. Uh-huh. Yeah, so do you think it has anything to do with footwear? I, I kind of think not, but I'm not... I have no idea where it would come from. Right. Well, that's a good guess, Dale, because it has nothing to do with footwear. It comes from an entirely different family of words. You're tricky, Martha. Yeah. Yeah. This kind of to boot, Dale, goes all the way back to the 11th century. In those days, the word boot itself had a positive meaning. It meant something good or an advantage. And over time, it sort of acquired the idea of something good thrown into the bargain, you know, like um, an addition. Like booty. Um, actually, I thought that too, but it's, that's not the case. That's from a whole other family of words, but a very good guess. It, it meant an added advantage, you know, like I'll give you three chickens and uh, some arugula to boot or something like that. And then it took on a life of its own and it came to mean something additional, either good or bad. Originally it was positive, And I'll tell you a word that it is related to is the word better. It's from that family of words, meaning something ah. good. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense then. Yeah, so it's one of those... Because they're all about something positive or something good. Right. right. Does that make sense, Dale? It makes sense to me, and it will make sense to all the members of the Potsdam Food Co-op to boot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now, how are you going to get all that on a Post-it? I will write really small, I guess. Uh (laughs) More than 140 characters, huh? I think so. Okay, well, I hope that helped. Well, thank you very much. All right. Thanks for calling, Dale. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, if you have a question about language, we'll give you an answer and uh, a little bit of humor to boot, maybe. The number is 1-877-929-9673, or you can email us. That address is words at waywardradio.org. back we had a call about the expression like a duck on a june bug it means to go after something really really eagerly you remember that call grant yeah i do it was good but both you and i said that we had never seen a duck on a june bug so we were just sort of reporting what we'd read right that that a duck going after a june bug is the very picture of alacrity well we heard from somebody who has actually seen this in action Jeannie from wisconsin writes We used to hang a light bulb on a low post in the yard after dark and sit on benches and watch my pet ducks go crazy for the June bugs who were attracted to the light. They would practically jump up for them, and if you've ever seen a duck try to jump, it's very funny. She writes, My boyfriend's two young sons said that the duck and June bug show was better than cartoons on TV. I liked it because though I don't mind most insects, I think June bugs are disgusting, so I was glad to see them eaten up. She says a duck on a June bug can be described as synonymous with wham. So, <laughs> so there you have it, a report from the wild about what a duck on a June bug actually looks like. Very, very eager and enthusiastic. If you've got a comment or a correction or an addition to something we've talked about on the show, by all means, let us know. You can send it in an email to words at waywardradio.org or give us a call at one 929 Get ready to sweat. Next on Away With Words, it's push-ups for your brain. Stay tuned. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and here with us now is that lovable quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hello, John. Hello, Grant. Hello, Martha. It's funny. Today's quiz is related to my wife in some way. Okay. Really? Yeah. My, yeah. Uh, you know, my wife is a poet and, a, and, a, and an author. Her name is Jennifer Michael Hecht. Mm-hmm. And um, she uh, blogs, as I guess everyone does these days. I don't, I don't know how to do that stuff. But she blogs, two blogs. She has one on the Best American Poetry site. And mm-hmm. she has a, a personal blog that she calls Dear Fonzie. 
Because she asked me one day, what should I call my blog? I said, well, why don't you write it as if you're addressing someone, someone, anyone that you think is great. And she's good. Dear Fonzie. Oh, no. <laughs> so this puzzle okay. is, is all about A's. It's all about A's. A. A's. A. The letter A. Because okay. that's what Fonzie used to say. That's what Fonzie used to say. Oh, yeah. show. Happy days. Yeah. Hey. Okay, gotcha. Hence the conceit. Here are some clues to phrases in which the only vowel is the letter A. For example, mm. this was a hot item of interior decor through the 60s and 70s. Bean bag. No, there's an E in there. Beanbag uh, chair. I, oh, oh, it's only no. A's. Only oh, A's. Okay. Not, not, I mean really hot. <laughs> it got its name from its resemblance to flowing heated rock. So shag carpeting doesn't work. No. <laughs> lava lamp. Lava lamp there is correct. They were, originally they were known as lava lights, but lava lamp is, uh, is commonly what they're known as. That's very good. Let's try a few more, okay? Two words, four A's. King John did not sign this important historical document. He affixed his royal seal to it in 1215 at Runnymede. The Magna Carta. Yes, the Magna Carta. Lots of A's. Very good. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, Okay, here's the next one. Two words, two A's. My wife and I are currently doing battle with this formidable nemesis in our backyard. Its scientific name is Digitaria sanguinalis, but you might know it by a more crustacean nickname. Digitaria sanguinalis. Okay. Hmm. Here's your clue. is backyard crustacean. Oh, crabgrass. Yes, crabgrass. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Very good. This is two words, three A's. It's S-shaped and about two and one-third miles long. Or 3,800 meters. S-shaped, two and one-third miles long? Right. And it's very, very wet. Some kind of canal? Yes. Oh. What what canal, though? Oh, Panama Canal? No. No, I was going to say, that's a lot of A's. Yeah, it's a lot longer. Why won't anyone invite me to Italy so I can visit this major Venice waterway? Um, the Grand Canal. The Grand Canal is correct. Very good, Martha. Now we're going to move on to some three-word phrases. Three words, three A's. It's a medieval term for a soldier, usually a well-equipped and well-trained member of a knight or a lord's retinue. Uh, something at something? Yeah. Well, I got the at part, Grant. You can <laughs> at arms. One-third. One yes, that's at two-thirds. This was also the primary title of Duncan, who was a formidable, formidable ally of He-Man in the Masters of the Universe cartoon <laughs> series. Yeah, that was after my time. I was too old for that. <laughs> so what do you have? At arms. It's very simple, actually. Sergeant? I, <laughs> no, no, no. Master? No, that doesn't work out. Um, man. Man. That's man, at arms. man. Man at arms. <laughs> man at arms is used interchangeably with knight, though while all knights were men at arms, not all men-at-arms were knights. That's just a little thing for you. Here's another one. Three words, three A's. This term refers to a host of activities that involve making things with your hands. Arts and crafts. Yes, ah, very nice. good. There's also a late 19th century design, reform, and social movement. Very okay. good. They had popsicle sticks back then? <laughs> I'm sure. They, that's, originally, they were for the arts and crafts, and then later they thought about putting them, putting them in nice... Uh, Popsicles. Here's our last three word. This term means to flail about wildly looking for answers, as you might be doing right now. Grab at straws? Grasp at straws. Very good. Grab (laughs) grab at straws, sure. Okay. Let's try four words. This is similar to grasp at straws. This term means to get whatever you are able to get. Catch as catch can. Very good. Catch as catch can. Nice fast one, Martha. I love it. Finally, let's try a seven-word phrase. Whoa. Seven words, ten A's. This is a very well-known palindrome. A man, a plan, a canal, Panama. Panama. You got it, my friend. Very, very good. A man, a plan, a canal, Panama. And that's it. Ten A's, seven words. Great quiz. Thanks very much, guys. You get an A plus, John. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Well, if you have a question about language, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. 
Hi, this is Jamie from Nashville. Well, hi, Jamie. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Um, but I am originally from Louisville, Kentucky. So hi, Martha. Yay, um, Louisville. Um, well, my question is, I grew up calling a shopping cart a bass cart. And, I mean, it makes sense. It's a basket. It's a shopping cart. But um, I've only met one other person that called it a bass cart, and she was from New Albany, which is just right across the river. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if I'm alone in bass carting. <laughs> uh-huh. I that, hear them called buggies and, you know, all kinds of different things. But This is one of those everyday objects that linguists love to ask about when they're going around and collecting dialect. I grew up calling it a shopping cart, and that's what the vast majority of people in this country call it. But if you look at these dialect maps, it's really cool because some people call it a grocery cart. In the south, that's where the buggy name is really concentrated. In fact, I can remember going into a Piggly Wiggly in North Carolina, going into the Piggly Wiggly and being shocked by the buggies. You know, I just, I never heard that expression. But, um, and on the coast, people call them supermarket trolleys. And um, in the Northeast, especially, you hear shopping carriage or shopping wagon. So it's kind of odd, isn't it? It is. Yeah. But Baskart, I, I can tell you, I'm not exactly sure where that is common because I haven't even seen it on the dialect maps. But, Jamie, I can assure you that it is in Merriam-Webster's Unabridged Dictionary. So you didn't just make it up. <laughs> Good. Good. And I was listening to a previous show, and I say tumps as well. I just wanted to let you know. Oh, very good. Tumped over. I'm from Louisville, and I tump things over as well. Well, Jamie, I hope you don't tump over your buggy. <laughs> Me too. Or your bass cart. That could or be messy. Card. I'm going to tump my bass cart over. <laughs> <laughs> what did you call them growing up, Grant, in Missouri? I, shopping cart only. Uh-huh. Uh, nothing else. I didn't even know until I became an adult that there was anything else in the world that you might call them except for a shopping cart. Very boring. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> well maybe we can find out who else calls it a bass cart and yeah. draw some conclusions. B-A-S-C-A-R-T, right? That's, That's right, it, yeah. A mix yeah. of basket plus cart. And uh, yeah. I find some uses from 1949 and 19, early 1950s, even in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and a few other places. And hmm. not much else to be said about it except to me, and this is strictly a guess, it has the air of a brand name. And I wonder if there was a grocery mm. store provider who made these carts and that's the name that they smacked on them and they sold them to stores around the country. And that's how the name spread because it, it, those kinds of blends at that period were not that common where you take two words and mash them together. Could well be. I do have family from Michigan from that area. So maybe hmm. I picked it up from them too. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we'll ask, ask our listeners. All right. I look forward to hearing what well, they say. Okay. Well, thanks for calling, Jamie. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, if you've got a question about language, you've got a trouble with pronunciation, or you've got a grammar dispute, or you want to know what something means or used to mean, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. This is Tony Brandenburg from Encinitas. Hiya, Tony. Welcome Hello, to the Tony. show. Thank you. I was listening to the show the other day, and I was thinking about a word that I heard when I was probably six, six years old, and the word is chivalry. I don't know how to spell it, whether it's an S-H or a C-H, but our family was originally from Indiana, mm-hmm. and it was just after the World War II, my dad came home from the World War II with a wife and two children, my sister and I, four and five years old. And it was a very rural, very rural community. My dad woke us up one night about 8 o'clock and said, don't be alarmed, there's going to be gunfire and a lot of noise, and there's going to be a lot of people in the house, we're going to have a party. This was probably late spring, and lo and behold, next thing we knew, there were trucks driving up and women coming in with food, and we heard people shooting off guns and men doing what men do in the spring. And it was a giant party. And I said, Daddy, what is this? He says, it's a chivalry. And I thought, I had never heard the word before, or I've never heard it afterwards. Uh, And I didn't know what it meant. A party, a homecoming, uh, I had no idea. And was this right after your family got back? Or had your parents just gotten married? if my we had my father had just been discharged from the navy mm-hmm. and it was within a, a month or so after we got back and it was sort of a 
homecoming, housewarming. I didn't know what it was. Wow, I'm so excited to hear about a real live shivery. I've, <laughs> I only saw one in the movie Oklahoma. Yeah, they're not that I, I common don't anymore. recall seeing it in Oklahoma, but what is it? Uh, it it's a party. It's a, let me here. Here's a definition. I'm going to read one to you. It is a compliment extended to every married couple made up of beating tin pans, blowing horns, ringing cowbells, playing horse fiddles, caterwauling, and in fine, the use of every disagreeable sound possible to make night hideous. <laughs> Does it? Well, sound- that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds about right, huh? It was really but, that. And but, I've you know, never heard it, the word since. And I, I have seen Oklahoma, but I don't remember uh, that word or that concept used in Oklahoma. Oh, it's an old-fashioned tradition. It is, it's not around much anymore. I mean, there's a little bit of carrying on in this way in Louisiana still. But for the most part, people only know it from the books and the movies now. But it used to be so incredibly common that you find it come up again and again in literature throughout the 1800s and the early 1900s. Well, this was the 1946 when it happened, and again, it was a very rural community, uh-huh. and it was just a big, and it lasted, the funny thing was, it lasted till morning, and I remember saying to Dad, where's everybody going? And Dad said, they have to go home and do the milking. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't sure as a kid if milking had something to do with it or oh, right, right. <laughs> whatever. Grant, my understanding of it is it's usually a kind of hazing of a newly married couple, right? That, yes, it usually is. And perhaps the fact that your father came back from the war with a wife meant that it kind of was grandfathered exactly. in under that definition. Uh-huh. Well, great word. Thanks for bringing it to our attention. Well, Shivering. thank you. Thank you very much for calling, uh, for uh, taking my call. And thank you very much for clarifying that for me now. I wish, I wish my parents were still alive. I could share it with them. Share it with the generations to come, and that's that's good enough, right? right thank you. Okay. Thank you, Tony. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Bye-bye. Tony. Well, have you ever been a part of a shivery or heard about one? Give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673, or send us an email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Yes, hello. This is Neil White from upstate New York. Hi, Neil. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I have a question about the use of uh, hair like with a pair of scissors, pair of pliers. My wife says it's uh, it's already plural, so she calls, you know, when she asks for a pair of scissors, she says, hand me the scissors or a scissors. <laughs> and it's always been a little bone of contention with us, you know. And that and why is it why is it a pair of pants? If you have one, one leg of a pant, one leg, are you just wearing a pant? <laughs> Wait, so Neil, Man. she says, pass me a scissors? Well, she'll say, she'll pay, say, pass me these scissors. These, these scissors. scissors. Okay. So let's just talk about scissors because this is the, I think this is the core of your question. It's going to help with the other ones. Um, for me, it's not a scissors. It's a, a, it's more than one. It's a pair of scissors because each one of the blades, even though they're connected in the middle to, you know, is forming a single device, there are still two blades and each one of them is a scissor and they travel together because without the pair of them, you don't have scissors and there's no cutting involved and you can never make a snowflake. So, Exactly. That's always been my argument with my wife. She says, well, they're already plural, so it's not a pair. It's, it's one, one thing makes a pair of scissors, but... That's always right. been my argument. <laughs> so does she put on a pants in the morning? Does she... Or a pants? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's fine with a pair of pants, and uh, but, you know, and, and she does put on a bra. Why isn't that a pair? <laughs> There's another question. I'm sorry? <laughs> Are you riding a motorcycle? Oh, no, I'm, I'm outside on my cell phone. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> But just to clarify here, the truth is that you're both right. Historically speaking, scissors can be either singular or plural. I know it's weird, but that's the English language for you. English is kind of a, you know, a beautiful creature with warts everywhere. It's just not quite perfect. <laughs> and um, so you can say things like these scissors are very sharp or this scissors is very sharp. Or ah, that just feels weird. You can this say scissors, it. I know, it's weird scissors. to me. No, if you're going to say that, I'm going to take it apart and give you one of the blades and say can, this scissor is very sharp. No, this, this scissors, mm, plural. No. Um, so saying that's, that's these scissors. That's always been the, uh, we don't argue about it, that's always been that we're both right. <laughs> well, there ah. we go. That's the nice thing about this. If you really want something pointless to argue about, this is the topic. Don't argue about money or or the kids or what movie to see. This is the topic because you'll never resolve it. 
Well, thank you so much for your call. Okay, I appreciate it. All right, Take Neil. care, Neil. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If there's a questioning threatening to divide you and your spouse, maybe we can help. Give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha and Grant. This is Karen calling from San Diego, California. Hi, Karen. Hi, Karen. Hi. Well, I had a question about the pronunciation of the month of February or February. Uh-huh, the second month of the year. Uh-huh. I've heard it pronounced both ways, and I don't know why it started bothering me, but it did. <laughs> Which one started bothering you? That we don't, that most people do not pronounce the R. Right. And, um... I've looked it up in the dictionary, and I think that even in Great Britain, they pr- they don't pronounce the R sometimes. And I was just wondering why that is, and if it's correct, if everybody's saying it wrong, or if both pronunciations are acceptable. You know, that's not an uncommon problem when it comes to R sounds that are in different syllables of a word. I mean, if you think about words like caterpillar, how many people oh, say yeah. caterpillar true. or governor? I mean, we say caterpillar and governor. But for mm-hmm. some reason, sticklers have zeroed in on February. You know, is this is this kind of kind of shibboleth? It kind of sticks in the craw of sticklers. Yeah, it kind of it, it's a great way actually to identify sticklers who are operating strictly from poor logic and not from a position of intellectual superiority. <laughs> You see why I love this guy? So I've become a stickler, well, have I? Here's, <laughs> no. here's the, Martha's right on track here, Karen. He, she's right on track. The thing is, the lips have a hard time getting that R out after the B. It's mm. hard to do it and make that R distinct. Even people who believe they are pronouncing the R and the sticklers, even the ones who believe that they are pronouncing it correctly and pronouncing that R, usually aren't. They're making huh. a W sound just like the rest of us. And you know what? The February pronunciation is now more common. Yeah, it does seem that way. Doesn't it? Well, mm-hmm. and, it's, and, it's, and it's listed in every dictionary that I can check here. Yeah. I do have a nostalgic love for the term February because of the Latin word februa, which I love to bring up. It's a word for a goat skin thong, not a, not a thing that you mm. wear, but a, a strip of goat skin that was used in an ancient fertility ritual in uh, ancient Rome in the second month of the year. These two young men Clad in goatskin loincloths. Are you liking this part? Yeah. These two young men clad in goatskin loincloths would run around the city thwacking women with these little goatskin thongs that were called februa. And these were supposed to make the women fertile. But I'm not going to thwack anybody with a goatskin thong if they say February. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome, Dave. Thank you for calling us. All right. So they'll have to get fertile some other way. That's right. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Up, more questions, more answers, right here on Away With Words. Support for Away With Words comes from Random House, publisher of Origins of the Specious, Myths and Misconceptions of the English Language, by Patricia T. O'Connor and Stuart Kellerman. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. One of the dreadful things about being a parent is having to put up with inane children's books. I wish I could say that authors and publishers, and I'm serious, Martha. Well, I thought you were going to say diapers, sleepless <laughs> no, nights, but inane no, no, children's books? No, that's all for the care and love of my child. You know, diapers, that's just part of goes with making sure that he's healthy and whole, right? Okay. But the thing is, authors and publishers, I think that they mean well, but if they really meant well, then some of these books should never have made it to the shelves. Seriously, mm. they they should have never made it out of their brainstorming meeting. They're terrible. They're really terrible. But 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 there's good news. The good news goes by the names of Kate Banks and George Hallensleben. Let me spell that last name for you: H A L L E N S L E B E E. Nice German name. Kate Banks and George Hallensleben. This is a duo. She writes and he illustrates that makes great books. And so I want to recommend these great books so you can skip some of the inane stuff that I've had to read to my son. We have two of their books in my house. One of them is called Baboon, and as you know, my son is fixated on baboons, and the other one is called The Night Worker, and we checked that one out of the library. Whereas other books are kind of heavy-handed with their teaching or they fall back on the tropes, there are tropes in children's literature. Did you know that? I am not familiar with many tropes. Like firefighters rescuing kittens out of trees. Oh, sure, yeah, right. seems like every other book I have for my son has a firefighter rescuing a kitten out of a tree. Well, these books don't do that. (laughs) 
even my son picks up the sensitivity of these books. They're they're beautiful. Oh really? That's the firefighters rescue the cats and then they there adopt are no them? firefighters in these books. Okay, they don't. In adopt one the of cats them, after... in Baboon, a mother baboon teaches her baby that the world is a place full of variety, that it is both fast and slow, safe and dangerous, bright and dark, and so forth. In the other one, called The Night Worker. A little boy named Alex finally gets to make a trip to his father's overnight job at a building site where his father's a construction worker. And he gets to see the big machines and maybe operate them a little bit and just see what his father's job is about. And so these two plots may not sound altogether that interesting to you. but And the writing is prose and it's not rhyme. But it all is so just perfect. It, it lends itself to a measured cadence in, in which things are said kind of as hints rather than uh, the usual children's book upside the head learn this word kind of imperatives that you get. Do you know what I'm talking about? That way they just seem to think that kids are dense, but they really are subtle creatures who are they're susceptible to even the slightest influences. And I think that Kate Banks, when she's written this stuff, has given George Hallensleben um, room to illustrate it so that my my son spends time looking at these I think they're watercolors. They might be tempera paintings, but they're not very precise. They're not cartoony. They're they're mm. a little they're a little figurative and non literal. These pictures, without being too strange, and he enjoys looking at these pictures and hearing these words and hearing me talk about these books. The illustrations are thick and dark and moody, and um, they're great. I, I would almost call them the opposite of sing songy. If the pictures were words, then they would be whatever sing songy isn't. Anyway. Uh-huh. So they're sort of like not so much primary colors but more subtle. And and it sounds like he's probably going to be responding to your delight in those books as well. Certainly. There's there's something to be said for a, a father not going to his son as I've – saying to his son as I've said a million times, son, put the book back. I don't want to read that again. <laughs> These books I don't have that problem with. They are, again, Baboon and Nightworker and they're written by Kate Banks and illustrated by George Hallensleben. George is actually spelled without the E on the end. And you can find a whole bunch of other books by them as well. It's just good stuff that I highly recommend. That's all. Well, that's a really strong recommendation. We'll put links to those on our website. And in the meantime, if you have a question for us about books and words and language and grammar, slang, any of those things, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWORD. Or you can send an email to our email box. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, my name is Jesse Tutt, and I'm calling from Terrell, Texas. Well, hello, Jesse. Welcome to the program. Thank you. It's uh, fun to be on. What can we do for you? Well, there's an expression that my family um, used that I uh, have actually never heard outside of my family, and um, it's uh, richer than Ben Gump. Richer than Ben Gump. Right, or more um, more money than Ben Gump. Uh-huh. Now, how are you spelling the person with all the money? Well, you know, your guess is as good as mine, I guess. <laughs> I would say G-U-M-P for Paul, but, uh, but I don't know. I've never seen it written. It was um, if somebody bought a new car or uh, went shopping or something like that. Um, the expression was, well, you must have more money than, than Gump, or uh, they must be richer than Ben Gump. Mm-hmm. And where did you hear this growing up? Um, I grew up in Western Canada. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, we mostly lived in Alberta, but, you know, I think we were mostly around my mother's family, but I just, I remember... It was a, a well-used expression. Jesse, there's a great story behind this expression. You'll be oh, pleased. Oh, great. Yes, yes, yes. Now, the expression is actually richer than Bim Gump. B- Bim. B-I-M. B-I-M. Okay. Yeah. And the story behind this expression is that it comes from an old newspaper comic strip that began running in newspapers in this country around, I think it was 1917, and it ran for more than 40 years. And it was a comic strip called The Gumps, and it was about the Gump family. Now, Gump is an old slang term for a foolish person. And so oh, is you, it really? Yes, yes. How do you spell that? G-U-M-P, just like Forrest. I was right. Oh, yeah, fun. You were, yeah, you were, <laughs> you were right about that. And 
a family of Gumps, Andy Gump, who was known as the inventor of the flower pot. So you know that it's a goofy family. <laughs> <laughs> that was Andy's claim to fame. There was his wife and a, a wisecracking maid and, and their kid and their cat. But they also had a very rich uncle named Uncle Bim. Ah. B-I-M. Uh-huh. And Uncle Bim was this gullible millionaire who was always getting taken and and falling for these really stupid schemes. But the really interesting thing about this comic strip is that it was wildly popular during the Great Depression. Everybody was reading this comic strip. And part of the appeal was that they were doing things in this comic strip that people hadn't seen in cartoons before. It was a very realistic comic strip, even though they were goofy people, because, for example, Andy Gump invested a whole bunch of money in the stock market and lost it. Ah. There were characters who got sick. Um, one of them actually died, and that was the first time that a character in a newspaper comic strip had died, and people were just distraught. Oh, for heaven's sake! All over the country, you know, it was kind of like kind of like the sitcom of the Great Depression, and afterward, it became now, super popular. There were all these marketing tie-ins. Go ahead, Grant. There was a radio show too. Yes, it became a radio show, and there were wow. actually little toys and collectibles associated with the Gump family. So. With your family growing up, I'm sure your parents and and the rest of your extended family were well aware of Bim Gump, the rich billionaire. I guess that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Is it possible, like online or in, in any other format, to actually see the cartoons? You betcha. We will post links on our website because their their characters are kind of funny to look at. They none of them have chins. It's oh. <laughs> it's really weird, you know, when when they're talking, they just look like they have this big hole in their neck. So <laughs> I'm glad to have the chance to talk about this. It's a really interesting story. It sounds like it. I'm looking forward to reading some of them. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for answering the question. Sure thing. Okay, right, you have a great Jesse. day. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye now. Well, what did your grandparents used to say that you don't really know where it came from? We'd like to help you with it. Give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Try us on Twitter at the username Wayward, W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha. This is Sendel Rivalry in Chicago, Illinois. Sendel? It is. Ah, great name. Well, welcome, Sendel. What's up? So, I was doing a crossword um, a few weeks ago. Ah, you're one of us. Ah, true. <laughs> so, I was doing this crossword, which was actually from last uh, October, so I've gotten a little behind, and there was a clue that um, was cluing um, the letters A-U-S-T. And actually, I can't even remember whether it was um, referring to Austria or Australia, um, and it got me wondering why those names are so similar. Um, because I remember being confused about this when I was a kid, and when I was teaching, at least one of my students was wondering about that, too. Um, and it's weird, because I thought the name Austria came from German, um, from the word for East, mm-hmm. um, and the word for Australia came from Latin, which refers to South. Mm-hmm. That seems like not the same thing, but too much of a coincidence to be chance. Yeah, it's weird. What's Austria doing over there and Australia doing way down there and they have different uh, different routes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, it, but it is a coincidence, Sendel. It no. absolutely is. Yeah, it's a coincidence. Well, that's very disappointing. Well, here, listen to this. <laughs> there, there's a, a linguist by the name of Mark Rosenfelder, and he's actually done a statistical analysis to look for the chance that these exact kinds of coincidences can happen um, in in between different languages. And it's a little different than within the same language. But... And, and I don't know enough to really assess his math, but his conclusion is interesting. He says that the chance of coincidence is high enough that we should not be surprised that two languages can have virtually the same word, say same spelling or similar pronunciation, two words that mean the same thing. Because the the thing is that there's so many languages and each of them have so many words and uh, the history of the world is so vast and the things that humans are all interested in are also similar and... The sounds that we make with our mouths are also similar. You know, languages, they all take a, one small subset of all the possible sounds of the human mouth. But then they, the sounds that they do take are configured in a variety of kind of predictable ways. So he says that the coincidence is, is, is a yawner almost and that we should just expect this kind of thing to happen. Do you know of, of any other coincidences that are similar? Well, there, uh, fortunately, there is 
a whole collection of this sort of thing. There are numerous web pages that the one I'll refer you to, boy, I really hate referring people to Wikipedia uh, because it's so unreliable. But for what it's worth, go to Wikipedia and look up the word false cognate. You probably know that phrase, right? No, that's the first time I've heard it. A false cognate, that's C-O-G-N-A-T-E, false cognate. This is a pair of words that appear to be the same, but they aren't. Um, Hmm. Either they've become separated somewhere etymologically so that they used to mean the same thing, but they no longer do, or they were never the same or never meant the same thing. They just look alike. My example that I typically use is the word R-E-D, which means the uh, red in English, and Mm -hmm. it means network in Spanish. And, of course, the most famous Spanish-English false cognate (laughs) is embarrass and embarazada, right? Embarazada, right? Embarazar, which means to uh, get pregnant. To to get pregnant. And, of course, uh, French and English uh, have a huge number of these. And they're not quite the same as the coincidence that you're talking about because a lot of them are related historically and etymologically, but somewhere along the way they've become so different from each other in their separate languages that they can no longer be considered synonyms. Yeah, they're called false cognates or false friends or foes me. Yeah. Hey, Sindel, thanks for a great question. Thank you. All right, Thank take you, care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, if you're lost in a linguistic thicket, we can help you get your bearings. You can always drop by our discussion forum. You'll find that at waywardradio.org slash discussion. We received an email recently from Paul in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. He writes... What's with pandemic? We used to have epidemics. Now we only have pandemics. From what I see in the dictionary, they mean pretty much the same thing, except that a pandemic might be more so. Regardless, epidemic seems to have vanished from use, certainly as far as CDC and the media are concerned. Now, Grant, I have to admit that I haven't heard pandemic very much until recently, but it's certainly been around for a long time. I think the two words um, have a pretty clear difference. Pandemic is when a lot of people get sick across a very large area, and an epidemic is when a lot of people get sick in a relatively small area. It's a difference in size mostly, right? Yeah, yeah. Sort of a pandemic is an epidemic that gets out of hand in terms of uh, not only numbers but location, as far as I can tell. And it's I, I haven't noticed... Um, pandemic replacing epidemic, I have to say I haven't heard it much before um, the recent scare. I wouldn't be surprised to find that there was some linguistic inflation happening here and people were using pandemic just to emphasize their point, but Mm -hmm. I haven't noticed it either. I do think it's something to be alert for. Um, A pandemic is is worse than an epidemic, though, so I think it does apply to the swine flu situation. Right. Well, if you have a question about a word in the news, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673 or send an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Noah Taylor calling from Seneca, South Carolina. Oh, hi, Noah. How you doing? Great. Welcome to the show. I was going to call about the expression coined. I coined. heard you talk about it on uh, the program. Okay. Can you please tell me where that came from or what it means by chance? Now, when you say coined, what do you mean exactly? Like when you coin a phrase, perhaps? Uh-huh. Coin a uh-huh. phrase or coin a word. Well, Noah, do you have any guesses about why we use the word coin? Uh, probably because, like, if you pay money, then you're just giving, then, well, you own that object, then, so it could possibly have something to do with that, so you can name it whatever you want, maybe. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting theory. Does the word coin, as in coin of phrase, have anything to do with those little metal discs that we use for money? Well, here's the connection. Back in the 14th century, we had the verb to coin, but it specifically meant making those little disks that are stamped with things that are money, you know, making coins. But um, over time, that idea expanded to some more general ideas, like uh, a couple hundred years later, you might talk about coining a story or coining a word. And it's sort of the same idea of, you know how they make coins by stamping stamping metal with something even harder and that puts the design in it? Yes. It's sort of the same idea. You're sort of putting the stamp on that raw material of an idea and making something that's distinctive. So it went from sort of a specific sense of making those little uh, coins. It later became applied to something more abstract, like making words. Oh. 
there's a suggestion there of putting your imprint on something, which I think dovetails with what Noah was saying, right? You're, there's some force involved in making a coin. Isn't there some kind of – do you see some kind of connotation there, Martha, that coining it – it's just not like a, a facile act, right? It's something we put some effort into. Yeah, it's, it's something very specific and something very forceful. And, no, I think you're raising some interesting ideas about – um, the connections between words and money. You know, I mean, words are kind of like coins in a way, aren't they? We we carry them around and we exchange them. They're a kind of linguistic currency that uh, that lets us give and take meaning from other people. So does that make sense, Noah? Yeah. Okay, well, we All appreciate right. your calling. Thank you, sir. Okay, thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, if you have a question about the origin of a word, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. In an earlier episode, we talked about euphemisms for going to the bathroom, like spend a penny or go see a man about a horse. And that prompted several of you to call in with some of your favorite euphemisms for excusing yourself to go to the bathroom. And I thought I'd share some of them because, of course, you can never have too many euphemisms for going to the bathroom. Wouldn't you agree, Grant? Yeah, hurry up, though. I need to go now. (laughs) Okay. Well, Stephen called to say that the expression he uses is, I'm going to make a confession. Ah, the booth. Mm Mm-hmm. And Sharon called to say that recently she was in China and her guide would always say, and over here is the happy room. (laughs) It's like having a laughing place. Everybody should have a happy room. Anyway, we'd be happy to hear from you if you give us a call at 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. That's our show for this week. Support for our program comes from Mosey Online Backup. Got data? Visit mozy.com. If you didn't get on the air today, you can leave us a message anytime. The number is 1-877-929-9673. Or email your questions to words at waywardradio.org. Or join the conversation right now on our discussion forum. That's waywardradio.org slash discussion. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. Tim also engineered our theme music. Kurt Conan produced it. We've had production help this week from Michael Bagdasian and Josette Herdell. From the Argo Network in New York City, I'm Grant Barrett. And from Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. Goodbye. Au revoir. And I say neither, either, either, neither, neither. Let's call a whole thing.